Welcome to episode 149 of the Headspace and Timing podcast. On today's episode, veteran and chief executive officer Bobby Herrera joins the show to talk about his book, The Gift of Struggle, and more importantly, about the need to find purpose and meaning in life through helping others after learning lessons from our own struggles. I'm very open about the fact that I don't know whether or not I would have ever figured it out on my own. Had Mr. Teague not come on the bus, I'd like to think that I would have somehow figured out my purpose, my identity, and you know why I was one of the lucky ones to be part of this you know story that we're all living. But that's not a real comfortable thought for me. And and I talk about that very openly as a call to action for those of us that have figured it out. Again, we need to see these people that that need that. Like, that's one of the most best gifts that we can give someone is make them feel seen. And when you do that intentionally, you never know. You never know how that's going to change the course for somebody. Just one act of kindness, one small act. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose. Mr. Teague bought me a cheeseburger, bought me a cheeseburger and changed my life. It's not that difficult to see a kid, see a veteran, see, you know, a single mom, see someone. Uh, Just open your heart a little bit. Before we get started, I want to give listeners a heads up that as we approach the 150th episode, I'm going to be doing something a bit different. I have a great guest lined up for the 150th episode, so keep tuning in. And after that, I'm going to be putting new guest interviews on hold while I develop a new project called Seeking the Military Suicide Solution. We'll be partnering with Military Times to start this podcast and bring you information about suicide prevention from the experts and the people that are actually doing the work. To keep up with all the latest, sign up for our newsletter by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash update. Welcome to the Headspace and Timing Podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France, and I'm a retired Army non-commissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the Army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about, veteran mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Headspace and Timing Podcast once again. And as always, we really appreciate you listening and learning more about veteran mental health. You know, when we talk about veteran mental health, it's not always about illness. It's not always about sickness and being broken. Um, as, as a previous guest, Dave Grossman said, it's not about veterans being PTSD riddled, homicidal and suicidal nutcases, right? A lot of time it has to do with the fact that, uh, uh, 
struggle and, and challenges can make us stronger if we look at it like that. And, and my guest today is, is definitely someone who literally wrote the book on, uh, the, the benefits of the gift of struggle. Uh, so I'd like to welcome Bobby Herrera to the show. Bobby, thanks for coming. Yeah. Grateful to be here with you, Dwayne. Army strong, brother. Army strong, right? You know, and this is, uh, I, I'm not sure a lot of people, uh, uh, with everything that you've done, right? With everything that you've accomplished and, and you have a military background and, and you do a lot of work with, with the military. Um, and as we were talking before we started, right? You know, the, the military does have elements of struggle. Before we get into that, though, I want to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself. Well, first and foremost, Dwayne, God's given me more than I deserve. Um, yeah, I'm a student of struggle. I was born into struggle uh, by virtue of being one of 13 in a migrant farm working family there in New Mexico, not far from where you're living. And I grew up in a small town where I didn't know there was a much bigger world out there. And you know, that journey eventually led me to raising my hand when I was 18. And I proudly joined the Army, the right branch that you and I, I think, would agree on. And... After the military, I went to school and started my professional journey, and that eventually led to my entrepreneurial journey. And, you know, you mentioned the book a while ago, and um, the, the, the essence of the gift of struggle was I wrote the book to give. I wrote it because I wish someone would have written it for me when I was a young lad and getting started in my journey. And I'm just very blessed and grateful that I've been able to pay forward a kind act that changed a course for me when I was 17. You know, that's great. And uh, I definitely understand that my mom was one of uh, 15 um, uh, natural born and three adopted. Um, so uh, it, definitely large families and having all those cousins and, um, you know, uh, my grandmother, before she passed away, was a great, great, right? And so just those, that's a struggle in and of itself is trying to deal with that many people. Uh, but you mentioned um, this, uh, the initial gift, right? And that gift that you were given. Uh, and, and you have a particular story. When I had the pleasure of being able to hear you when we were in Dallas at the Bush Institute, um, the, bus, the bus story is a critical uh, component, I understand, from everything I think that has happened um for you since then. So tell us a little bit about the bus story. Yeah, well, that became my North Star, Duane, and remains my North Star to this day. When I was 17, my brother Ed and I, we were on a return trip home from a basketball game. And along the way, the team stopped for dinner. Everybody unloaded off the bus, except for me and Ed. You know, we didn't have the means to play sports and afford dinner. You know, being part of a 13-kid tribe, it's just the way things were. And my parents were doing the best they could, and we were very accustomed to being on that bus. Well, a few moments after the team unloaded, one of the dads to the other players, he steps on board the bus. And he razzed me a little bit because Ed had outscored me that night. And then he said something to me that I will always remember, Dwayne. And that is, he said, Bobby, it would make me very happy if you would allow me to buy you boys dinner so that you can join the rest of the team. Nobody else has to know. All you have to do to thank me is do the same thing for another great kid just like you on this bus. And like, I had this wave of gratitude come over me that it's still hard for me to explain. And that moment just changed the course for me, you know, because 
I'm 17 years old. I have no idea what I'm going to do with my life. And all I knew is that I wanted my story to be different than what I had experienced as far. You know, we were mired in intergenerational poverty. I had more reverse role models in my life and struggled being the only consistent theme in my family story. And, uh, you know, even though I didn't know what I was going to do, when I stepped off that bus, I knew why. You know, I'd somehow, some way figure out a way to create something or be a part of something that would allow me to pay forward that kind act to other kids who were born on the wrong side of the opportunity divide, just like me. And uh, like that moment, that experience has just guided my life and it's guided the way I've tried to imperfectly live my life. And it became the invisible force that, that drove me. And uh, like I said, I've been blessed beyond anything I ever imagined. See, and, and it's it's really inspirational um, uh, in that, you know, it, it happened by happenstance. You know, a, a different parent could have been chaperoning that day. Um, or maybe you might have, um, you know, done a couple extra paper routes and happened to have that. You know, I mean, it's so there's this, it, it was the unique thing and the serendipity of the right circumstances happening at the same time. And, and what strikes me, and this is uh, what I recall from, from hearing you talk, was um, you were perfectly happy. You know, uh, I, I guess your mom had made some uh, burritos and, and that, I mean, you, this wasn't something that was painful or shameful necessarily for you. Um, this wasn't something where, you know, you were out on the side of the road with a piece of paper uh, or a cardboard. Um, this was generosity applied when it wasn't necessary um, and, and it was done serendipitously. Yeah, we were very accustomed to being on that bus and, you know, you said my mom's burritos, her legendary burritos. They were, they're amazing. And we were very well aware that other families had what we didn't. And I, I wanted off that bus more than you know. However, I also knew that at that point, it just wasn't an option for me. And, you know, this man that stepped on board the bus, he was a very successful man in the business community. And, you know, although I was accustomed to being on that bus, Although I knew that I didn't have an option, you know, when this man came on board, I had been telling myself this narrative that, hey, people like him, they don't see kids like me. And with one small act of kindness, not only did he show me that I was wrong, but he taught me that the single most important part of leadership and, and, and helping people is seeing an encouraging potential. And, you know, he did it in a manner which I believe is at the essence of leadership, which is at the essence of great human nature and helping others, and that is that he wanted more for me than he wanted from me. And like, that whole experience is packed with so many lessons that have guided the way I've been fortunate enough to re reframe some of the struggles in my life. And you and I talked about it in the beginning uh, before we came on the air, but you know, someone asked me not long ago, I said, like, Hey Bobby, how do you define struggle? And I said, well, struggle, you know, there's your technical definition, which I put in the book. However, very simply put, it's that pain that we feel inside and that self doubt and that weight that we carry. And we wonder whether or not we have what it takes to either become the person that we imagine or somehow get through that pain that we feel. And, you know, most times in life, uh, we can't do it by ourselves. And I'm, 
absolutely grateful, beyond grateful that Mr. Teague recognized that, but he did it in a manner that really solidified for me that uh, humility is the secret of the wise. And he could have done it any other way, but he chose to give me responsibility with that kind gesture and asked me to do it for someone else. And it just, it just gave, that moment gave me identity. It gave me purpose. And it was the first time in my life that I felt seen. You know, and, and that idea that you had this in your mind, right? This is, this is what you believed in. And perhaps that's true for some people like Mr. Teague, right? You know, some people like Mr. Teague, um, didn't see people like you and your brother. Uh, but that didn't mean that all people like Mr. Teague, including Mr. Teague, uh, didn't, didn't see you and your brother. Um, you're talking about this internal versus external struggle. You know, we grow up in intergenerational poverty. We grow up in, um, you know, um, lack of education or, or dangerous neighborhoods or what have you, right? So that's the external struggle. Uh, but then you refer to the inner struggle, this, this, you know, struggle with myself and what I believe to be, um, right with the world, but it's actually wrong. I th I'm thinking of veterans that I work with who say, much in the same way, I'm not going to go to that corporate place because they don't want to hire veterans. They don't see people like me. They only see Rambo or, or blah, blah, blah. So which is harder for you, do you believe, overcoming the external struggle or overcoming the internal struggle? Uh, hands down, the internal battle. Um, because the internal battle, um, it's, it's normal and intuitive. You know, the human animal, we're wired to protect ourselves. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with narrative and our experiences and our beliefs and so forth. I have so many times in my life that I reflect on where I was simply just telling myself the wrong narrative. And here's what I mean by that. Too often, as I reflected on my past and, you know, I viewed what I experienced, I tended to focus on what I didn't have. And once I started to shift the narrative to what I did have, and what I could control and started focusing on some of the gifts that some of those hardships had taught me, it just helped me start reframing how I could view my life differently. And, you know, I talk about that experience in the, in the book, you know, where it was three weeks into basic training when I actually started reframing my story. And yeah, I, it, we were right in the, the heart of the mental haze three weeks into basic training and we were polishing our boots late at night by flashlight and all around me I could hear you know soldiers complaining about the night that had no end in sight and the morning that was going to start way too soon I, that, that narrative is all too familiar to you and I from our experience in the military and uh, I remember thinking to myself that wow like I have to get up at 4.30 tomorrow, but I've been waking up at 5 a.m. working in the fields for 10 hours a day, six days a week since I was like yay high. I know what it's like not to have any money. I know what it's like not to have any material comfort. I've been asked to leave the table because of the color of my skin. And for the first time, I started thinking what those experiences taught me. And I vividly recall thinking to myself, like, there's nothing that they can do or say to me the rest of my experience here that I haven't somehow experienced or seen before. And in some cases, even more, 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 uh, difficult. And 
the light bulb just went from 40 to 100 watts for me. And I just started shifting the narrative to what I did have versus what I didn't have. And I think that's really to, to, to land the point on your question here, Dwayne, is when we focus on what we don't have, we tend to focus on the external struggle. But when we focus on what we do have, we can take control of the narrative and then point it to those things that we do have and that we can control, right? We can control our attitude. We can control our effort. We can control whether we smile. We can control whether we, you know, wake up, take a walk, all those things that we can do. And you start focusing on that. You will reframe the way you see life one step at a time, right? Sir Edmund Hillary said famously, it's not the mountain we conquer, but, but ourselves, right? The external problem is the mountain. The internal problem is that step that we take one, one foot at a time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And this is a lot of what I see veterans struggling with once they leave the military. Um, you said that, you know, that moment on the bus gave you identity. Um, a friend of mine talks about, uh, for some people needing to make their place in the world. Uh, there wasn't a Bobby Herrera shaped hole in the world. Well, there was, but you didn't want to be in that one that, that you grew up in, right? You wanted right. a different place. Uh, so you had to make a place for yourself in the world for veterans, especially those that, that, um, did very extremely meaningful things like, you know, combat deployments or like me, we're in for nearly a quarter of a century. We did have a place in the world and that was in the military and we're not there anymore. Um, yeah. when we're in the middle of that struggle, it's hard to realize how beneficial it's going to be. And like you, once you were through that struggle and in another area, you realize that struggle actually gave you resilience and strength. Yeah, undoubtedly. And yeah, Dwayne, I think it's important to also highlight, um, like I don't openly, even though I was able to reframe struggle, like I, I don't want anyone to think that I will go around openly inviting it into my life. Yeah. I, yeah, I wholeheartedly believe that you'd have to be absolutely crazy to want to struggle. So let's agree on that. However, you'd have to be even crazier to think that you're not going to. And so when we ask ourselves these questions and really get down to the heart of the matter is like, no, I don't want to struggle. But the reality is, is I'm going to. And, you know, when you're in it, it's, you know, that's when you need to exemplify that uh, one of the single biggest signs of strength that we have is asking for help. And, you know, it took me a long time to get to that place. However, once I did, and I realized that when you ask for help, what you're actually doing is you're building trust with somebody. Right? Think about it. When people come to you, and you know that they're doing their best and they're working hard. But if they come to you and they say, you know what, I've been working really hard at doing this, this, this. I keep falling down. I would, would you be open to helping me? May I ask you a few questions so that I can continue making progress on this journey of mine? Like who wouldn't help that person, right? We're hardwired to help. But often we tell ourselves this narrative that, hey, we have to do it by ourselves. Like, no, you don't. You know, dumb people do it by themselves. Right. And I was that dumb kid for a long time. Right. So, uh, I kind of pulled my string there a little bit because, but I, I do think it's important and, and, be, and, and it's also important to understand that, you know, we're talking about struggle, right? We're talking about 
that pain inside, like that's different from trauma and uncontrollable hardship that unfortunately so many great people face in life, right? Like that's, that's different, right? But when you go through like these struggles, these self-doubt, a lot, a lot of struggle really is simply the self-doubt that we have inside. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, um, you know, this idea of, uh, you'd have to be a masochist to put yourself in a, a struggle situation. <laughs> um, but, but somehow, and, and like you, and I noticed it too, after I retired, um, we always think that the, the right way is the hard way. Um, you know, I, I, I have this, I've had this discussion with some of my clients. Let's say you have to get from point A to point B and point A to point B is a quarter mile away. You have two ways you can get there. There's an easy path that's a quarter mile, but there's the long path, which is a three mile obstacle course with razor wires and, um, you know, just the horrible things you can imagine. Veterans will take the three mile obstacle course rather than the quarter mile easy course because perhaps we believe that's what we have to do, or maybe that's what we were taught that, you know, something needs to be, you know, uh, a really hard effort to be able to be beneficial, or people will think I'm weak if I take the, nobody will judge you, whichever route you take, but veterans seem to take that hard obstacle course route to the point rather than the smart way, maybe. Yeah. Dwayne, I call that participating in your own rescue. Um, and, I mean, everything's situational, right? I mean, metaphorically speaking, uh, I'm sure we'd agree that anything worthwhile is also uphill, right? So yeah, situationally speaking, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. Uh, when we're evaluating our struggles and what we've been through, I think where veterans may have an even bigger opportunity as they're you know, beginning their leadership journey or their journey of health or their journey of you know, their professional careers and so forth is, hey, go back to the beginning and focus on you know, the single most important question that's universal to all of us. And that is, hey, who am I becoming? Right. So if you focus on that, who am I becoming? And then you go back to the beginning and you know, I've actually put people through this exercise and I encourage them to write down their marker struggles, like write down some of those marker moments, those struggles that shaped who you are today. Uh, like every, those, those are going to be different and situational for everybody. After you write down those struggles, write down right next to it. What did it teach you? Right? And as I've, I, I've done that exercise for myself and I look at it and said, you know what? This one taught me, gave me the gift of creativity. This one gave me the gift of compassion. This one gave me the gift of empathy. This one gave me the gift of patience. And you, then you can continually self-assess yourself on your own journey and yeah, who you're becoming is so much more important than what you end up doing, right? Because you focus on who you're becoming, you can do whatever you want. And so, you know, and, and that's entirely accurate. I think that how many times do we actually look at, you know, we're climbing uphill, but we don't turn around and realize how far we have climbed. Um, or right. if we find ourselves in a valley, um, at mm -hmm. one point we were on a mountaintop and if we got there once we can get there again. Uh, but again, it goes into this, this mindset and the outlook that we have, um, that, that makes the struggle seem so immediate. Um, you said you wanted off that bus, literally and metaphorically, right? You wanted out of that life, um, but you didn't know how. You sort of knew that, you know, and, and not to undersell it, but this really sucks this way that I'm living. Um, 
but you didn't, you didn't know how to get out of it until you reached out or you even accepted, um, someone's hand and say, well, if this person can do this for me, I can do this for other people. Exactly. And, uh, Dwayne, there's an interesting backstory to, uh, the bus story. And you've heard me share this, uh, in Dallas at the Bush Institute. We, um, that, that story in that moment was raging like an inferno inside of me for many, many years. You know, it carried me through the military school, you know, on through my entrepreneurial journey. It wasn't until 10 years in after I started my company in 2002 that I finally mustered up the courage to share that story with the company that I was building. And you named the mistake. I had made it. And there's not enough time in our interactions here to even begin to highlight a fraction of them. Well, one of the biggest mistakes that I made in those first 10 years was the people that I was leading, the people that I was guiding, they didn't know why building this company was so important to me. And then finally, actually by accident, I shared the bus story. And once I did, it created a kindness and an empathy and a level of connection between us that we've been building on ever since. What it really did is it transformed my company into a community because it humanized me. And once they learned what the invisible force was that was driving me, what gave me identity, what gave me purpose, then it tapped into those shared beliefs that we had and we were able to do it together. And when I shared my story, they in turn started sharing theirs. Well, you fast forward even, you know, you know, many more years from then, the man that gave me that kind, uh, amicable act, he had no idea. So one day I finally picked up the phone and I called him and it was a very special moment for he and I, and I shared with him the impact that it made and what I have been able to pay it forward and so forth. And, you know, a few days after that phone call, he sends me a letter and he says, Bobby, I don't mind sharing with you the many tears that I shed during and after that call. You made me feel like my life had mattered. And that right there is, I believe, the single biggest struggle that every one of us have. Like we all want our life to matter. We want it to mean something. So going back to that bus moment. My biggest struggle at the time was I had no idea and actually a lot of self-doubt whether or not my story would ever matter. And I I think that's at the heart of a lot of our internal struggle is like, hey, can I make a difference? Will my life mean something? And uh, that's why I believe that internal pain that we have is so much Focusing on that is so much more important than these external things that come at us. You know, this idea of, um, I know I want to make a name for myself in this world, but I don't know how. Um, you had the bus story, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but in those 10 years, you were very, it was very clear in your mind that that was a turning point in your life, and it was a driving factor, right? It was a secret turning point. Like you said, it was this invisible mm-hmm. drive. Um, you asked the group of us something, how many people have a bus story, right? How many people have a turning point event that got them into this, you know, um, 
this isn't necessarily a bus story. The reason I'm in the Army is because the Marine Corps was out to lunch that day. I was actually looking to go to the Marines, <laughs> and the door was closed, and the guy behind me in the office was like, hey. And then, you know, the story is I, the Army was it in the office, and the Marine Corps wasn't. So, yeah. But that's the – so there's these things that happen, but but many people may not be aware of their own particular bus story. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I've actually found that uh, the reason that is is there's a lot of great, well-intended people out there that haven't slowed down enough to take a good, long, hard look in the mirror to try to figure it out. Like I believe there's one in there for for all of us. I mean, we all at one point in time have felt socially invisible. We all, I believe, want to somehow be Mr. Teague, that kind, compassionate person that extends a hand out of kindness and generosity. Like that's what I've chosen to believe that there's so many great people in this world despite what the news says. I don't, that's why I don't watch the news and I'm never happy after I watch it. So I've chosen to believe that. And when I've guided people through that exercise and, you know, outlining those marker moments, you know, second part of that exercise is, Hey, who helped you? Like who saw you when no one else was paying attention? Tell me that story. And nine times out of 10, inside of an hour, it becomes very obvious to someone. It's like, Hey, this coach or this teacher or this neighbor that always asked me how I was doing, that always encouraged me. Like there's someone out there. And I think that's why the bus story is so powerful because we've all envisioned ourselves as one of those two characters in one form or another. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I think back to, um, I've, I've known what mine was. Um, and, mm -hmm. and as I was preparing to leave the military, but the right person said the right thing to me at the right time when I was, you know, looking for, I didn't think I was going to be a, a therapist after the army. I figured I was going to be a high school English teacher, you know, the one that they could ask war stories so they wouldn't get homework because I'd go off on this tangent. Right. You know, and, and right. so I, I didn't think that I was going to do this, but the right person mm -hmm. at the right time said the right thing that put me on another course. And I followed up on that. So there were probably 150 people in that room that day. To my knowledge, none of the other ones of them became mental health counselors. Um, right. And so it, it takes an act of noticing and sort of being open to these moments to understand how am I going to take advantage of these bus moments. Mm -hmm. Undoubtedly. I mean, I've seen the hardest of men on the outside and, you know, the the, the, the coldest of people on the outside, you know, just deny wholeheartedly that, nope, I don't have a bus story. Nope. And, and I get it. I've been through that phase of my life too. Right? We all evolve at our own pace. Yeah. It took a long time for my frontal lobe to develop too. And however, I believe at the core, um, every single one of us in some form of another, can point to those moments when someone saw us at the right time in the right environment or time of our life that just really had a profound impact on us. And, 
You know, I think, you know, we tend to overcomplicate things as, as a human animal. You know that better than I do. And uh, it's not that complicated when you really slow down and reflect and ask yourself some of these real reflective, deep questions and you know, be your own guide for some of these struggles and start reframing it. Yeah, there's this idea of once we're in this struggle, uh, and, and like you said, you know, if you're head down and you're staring at your feet, you're not growing, right? You're not, if you're in the middle of the struggle, yes, you have to deal with the struggle, but you also have to be on the lookout for these moments that, you know, are either telling you why you're in the struggle, right? Maybe they're markers of saying, Hey, maybe I'm doing something that's, that's not, you know, that, like you said, I'm not participating in my own recovery. I'm doing this to myself. Um, or this is an external struggle. Um, and, and somehow that sort of a dual shifts in our outlook where, yeah, we're in this very difficult struggle and we have to be one hopeful, but also looking out for the way off the bus. You're absolutely right. And one of the things, and you heard me talk about this in Dallas, uh, Dwayne is I'm very open about the fact that I have, I don't know whether or not I would have ever figured it out on my own. Had Mr. Teague not come on the bus, I'd like to think that I would have somehow figured out my purpose, my identity, and you know why I was one of the lucky ones to be part of this you know story that we're all living. But that's not a real comfortable thought for me, and and I talk about that very openly as a call to action for those of us that have figured it out. Again. We need to see these people that that need that like, that's one of the most best gifts that we can give someone is make them feel seen. Right? And when you do that intentionally, you never know. You never know how that's going to change the course for somebody. Just one act of kindness, one small act. It doesn't have to be anything grandiose. Mr. Teague bought me a cheeseburger bought me a cheeseburger and changed my life. Like it's not that difficult to see a kid, see a veteran, see, you know, a single mom, see someone, uh, just open your heart a little bit. You know, this idea of, um, you know, people want to know their life matters. People want to be seen, right? People really want to be seen and understood. Um, and even just to the point of, you know, not say, hey, I see you struggling. Good luck over there. But, but people, we want people to understand ourselves. And what you're talking about is once, once you do get that sense of being seen, the next benefit is what you've done, what you've done with the book and, and what you've done, even going back and circling back around with Mr. Teague is once you feel seen, once you feel like your life matters in some way, then do that for others because where you were in that place, someone else is in that place. So not just being seen, but seeing others. I had great guides. I, again, I wouldn't have figured it out on my own. You know, I, I write about some of those people in the book, like Dr. Joe and you know, people like him continually guided me in my journey. And it was a two way street where not only did I have to ask for the help, but I had to be very receptive of the help and very honest with the changes that I needed to make. And, um, you know, we all have some form of contribution to every problem we're a part of. Uh, and once we own that, 
we can start figuring out that, that journey and make our way out. And, um, I know a lot of veterans out there. Um, and I was, I went through this, you mentioned earlier, we, we tend to give ourselves a lot of credit for being able to go through the, the mud and dodge the bullets and the barbed wire. And sure, that's a badge of honor, right? Not many people, very few of us have you know, display the courage to raise our hand. So I'll hail the volunteer. Now on the flip side of it, I'll often do, you know, whether it be a pay it forward workshop or, you know, work with leaders out there in the business world. And they'll tend to have this, you know, this narrative in their mind that, Hey, I can't be compassionate. I can't be kind. Like, you know, I have to have my stuff together and people can't see me sweat, blah, blah, blah. Right. It's nonsense. Right. And so I'll, I'll challenge them. I said, you know what? be kind for a week, like just for one whole week, just be kind, focus on kindness, focus on listening, give everyone you interact with the benefit of the doubt. Don't make assumptions, ask real in-depth cerebral questions, really seek to understand people. Don't raise your voice. Use a kind tone. Now, after you do that for a whole week, why don't you come back and tell me which one's harder? Which one's softer? Right? And I've had them come back in a couple of days say, all right, I get it now. And that's why I, I often say the long way is a shortcut. Right? Being kind and compassionate and understanding, you know better than most, Dwayne. That's, that's an uphill climb. That, that takes real grit. So for us, those veterans out there listening, if you want the real challenge, take you know, uh, welcome the challenge of kindness into your life. Right? That's, that's the real challenge that more leaders out there need to accept. And, and doing that for someone who's not used to doing that is uncomfortable, right? It's, it's not, uh, it's not something that they're used to. Uh, and, and that's where the magic happens, right? right. Uh, in your book, right? You know, uh, uh, brushing your teeth with your non-dominant hand for a month, right? Wasn't that, uh, I lasted like three days. <laughs> I mean, it just, yeah. because it, I mean, and it feels comfort. If, if you push through the discomfort now, had it been necessary for me to do that, but I was like, after three days, like, okay, Bobby, I get it. Right. But right. <laughs> go back to what's comfortable, but it's pushing through that discomfort. It's, it's these business people. It's, it's the veterans or the military spouses that we're thinking of mm -hmm. is, we shy away from this discomfort and we, we sort of roll back into that cult of can't. Um, I can't do this. And, and we, we build cages, um, around ourselves that, that we created ourselves. Here, here's another metaphor that, that I often use, uh, Duane. So I guess everyone's been stuck in traffic and it's the rare person that doesn't get impatient in, this traffic. Well, like what a world first world problem we have, right? When we're stuck in traffic. And w I think most of us in some, some form or another, we've been cut off, right? Uh, when we get cut off from someone else in traffic, we have one of two choices, give them the benefit of the doubt and just politely let them in and say, you know what? Maybe there's something going on with their family. Maybe there's something going on with their kid. Maybe they have a boss who's a jerk and they may lose their job, right? Or you can take the easy route and honk at them and give them the bird, right? It's the rare 
leader that will do the former versus the latter, right? However, that's real leadership. Right? And you, applying that metaphor to our everyday life and, you know, taking that approach and hey, I'm imperfect at it. By no means do I ever feel like I arrive. It's a journey, right? I'm a Mexican conquistador, so I'm imperfect. Yet I'm also very aware and intentional about that. And I've grown to understand the difference in how both of those approaches make people feel and make people feel seen. And, and that then came from being seen yourself, right? You know, somebody else, right. um, you know, uh, mm-hmm. considering your struggle and not metaphorically flipping you the bird. Bobby, and we only touched on like one aspect of the book. There is so much more to the book. Um, there's a, a lot of great stuff. I used it as a starting point to, uh, um, I actually picked up some stuff from Patrick Lencioni. You recommended that, I think, in the book. And, and so, um, it, it maybe just to give us a little bit more of the over, the book isn't the bus story, right? It could be. And, right. and then maybe in some ways, metaphorically, it is. <laughs> um, but, but maybe give us a couple of other quick points about the gift of struggle. Yeah. Well, the, the book, the bus story absolutely sets the tone from the beginning. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the, I wrote the book to give, right? I believe a great story should give the reader something that they can use to make their life better. Right. And so I wanted to write a book with that, the essence of that in mind. And, you know, so I took stories from my journey from growing up in a migrant farm working family to the military to raising my own family, building my business. And I found that every struggle and experience that I came across, they all had a common thread. And every one of those struggles taught me something and it gave me a gift. And my leadership philosophy is pretty simple in that, hey, we all struggle. Every struggle teaches us something. That's the gift. And leadership is sharing those gifts with others. And so the essence of the book is, uh, you know, one of these stories, these struggles that I had throughout one of those chapters in my life, the lesson it taught me, how I applied that lesson. And then I end every chapter with some thought provoking questions that invite the reader to reflect and self assess how they're reframing, uh, some of these lessons I'm teaching and, uh, I, I'm so grateful some of the feedback I'm getting for it. Uh, I'm getting these kind letters from all over the world from entrepreneurs and veterans and you know, kids from Japan. It's wonderful. It's amazing. And um, it's just making my heart sing that it's actually helping great people out there take more control of the story that they're writing. And that's you reaching back out to Mr. Teague. And Mr. Teague saying, hey, my life mattered to this one person. And that's what the gift that you're receiving from sharing the gift that you received. That's exactly right. And uh, anytime I speak to whether it be a group of veterans, like when we met or kids from the wrong side of the opportunity divide or an audience of a bunch of gritty business leaders, I have a very simple mantra. When I get up there and I tell stories. I walk onto that stage and I say to myself, just one, get just one. And if I get just one that day, it's a great day for me. And that's all I want this 
book to do. If it helped just one person, it was a massive bestseller in my book. I don't, you know, full disclosure, I don't care about those lists. I care about the just one because Mr. Teague saw me and he cared about helping me and my brother. And like I said, God's given me more than I deserve. And I get to pay some of these gifts forward. And I encourage other people who have had that same good fortune to you know, consider the power of it. You know, we, we hear that a lot of, and, and, you know, and, and I'm sure I've even said it a lot that, uh, you know, if only one veteran, if I only reach one veteran, we say that, but then in our minds, we said, yeah, but we'd really like to help 3000, right? You know, we, we really would, but, but mm-hmm. I hear your sincerity mm-hmm. and, and we don't need to help 3000, 3000 people need to help one, um, share a quick experience that, that, that your just, just that kind of brought to my mind, um, I've compiled some of my work into books and, and, um, to help veterans. I work with incarcerated veterans a lot. Uh, and I was invited to, um, uh, one of the state prisons here. There's actually on any given day in my county, there's 150 to 200 incarcerated veterans, um, in El Paso County. Um, but then those actually sentenced to, uh, the penitentiary, there's actually a cell block in Northeastern Colorado. That's, that's the majority, like 80% of them are veterans. Um, and I had gone up, they, they asked me to come up there and speak and, um, and, and I brought a couple copies of my book and some of the guys that were there are guys that I had, had worked with in the county jail. And one of the guys told me, said, Hey, I just want to let you know, there's a Vietnam veteran in here who came up to me after he read this book and he said, now he gets it. Now he understands this is what, this is the book that he's been looking for for 50 years. And and like you, for me, if that's the only one, right, if that's the only person that, that, you know, and my father was a Vietnam veteran, right? You know, and, and, and I know what it's like to struggle with that generation and to struggle as a, 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 a child of, of a, a combat veteran, that generation. You're exactly right. Just one. And if all of us help just one, then a lot of people get helped. Yeah. Dwayne, do you know, um, I want to be sensitive to our time here, but do you know the the starfish story? Are you familiar with that story? Yes, I, I am, but uh, yeah. maybe some of the audience members could uh, could bear to hear it. Yeah, so there's a there's a story where yeah, there's this little boy on the beach, and it was an unusual hot day, and there was also a very unusual low tide, and so the tide had receded back quite a ways, and this little boy's on the beach, and it's a very hot day, and he's going over as quickly as he can. And he's picking up these starfish and he's tossing them back into the water. Well, a few moments later, this elderly gentleman comes walking by and he's in his cranky mood. And he says to the little boy, it's like, what are you doing? It's like, you can't possibly save all these hundreds of starfish on the beach. You're wasting your time. And the little boy looks up at that well-intended old man and he reaches down, picks up a starfish throws it in the ocean. He looks at him and smiles and he says, just save that one. It's like, just one. One at a time. And, just one. and yeah. And, and again, if the, the old man had joined him and, and not been as cynical, then, uh, then double the amount that could have been saved. Bobby, this has been great. I really appreciate your time. Uh, if people wanted to hear more about you, uh, connect with you, um, where can they find you online, social media, things like that? Well, they can follow me on LinkedIn uh, and then on the social media channels, uh, the handles at Bobby Herrera PG, 
my website's bobby-herrera.com. Um, they can sign up for uh, the, the blog. I'm sending out stories. Uh, stu- I'm starting a student of struggle revolution, and I'm sharing gifts as they come in from great people from you know, all over the world, all over the country. And, you know, I'm a sucker for the underdog, as you know, and all hell, the underdog. I just want to get a community together of people that are going to give and help one another. That's great. And I'm going to make sure that all those links are in the show notes so that uh, anybody who's listening, interested, learning more can connect that way. Bobby, thanks so much for taking the time today. Hey, all hell, the underdog, Dwayne. Grateful for being here and uh, keep doing good out there, bro. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. As I mentioned, I had the honor of being able to hear Bobby speak and read his book. After hearing him speak and then reading the book, I knew that I had to get him on the show. Not just because I enjoyed the conversation, which was great, but to be able to capture Bobby's story and his insights for an audience who may not have the opportunity to hear him speak. I talk a lot on the show about overcoming struggle, overcoming hardship, reaching out for help if it's needed, and it's needed a lot more often than we might want to admit. Another one of the reasons that I wanted Bobby to come on the show is that his story is not about overcoming trauma or losing someone or some significant big T traumatic event. It's about overcoming daily struggle, the life struggle that we all experience. Bobby's story is unique to him, but all of our stories are unique to us. Struggle happens in everyone's life, whether you come from a life of intergenerational poverty like Bobby did, or a neglectful or abusive childhood. It's not getting through the struggle that's important, it's the lessons that you learn from it and how you deal with it afterwards. I highly recommend that you check out Bobby's book. It's a great read, it's quick, and it's powerful. You won't regret it. Thanks for taking the time to listen. To find out more information, you can go to the show notes, which you can find at veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash HST149. While you're there, hit subscribe in your podcast player of choice and leave an honest rating and review. It helps others find the show. You can also sign up for our newsletter by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash update. And you can join our growing community on Flick to get in on the new podcast, Seeking the Military Suicide Solution, by going to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash community. I'd also like to let you know of a series of webinars that I'm producing for NADAC, the National Association for Addiction Professionals. I'm presenting a series of six webinars on service member, veteran, and military family mental health. They'll be live webinars presented over the remainder of 2019, and after they're complete, they'll be available to watch on demand. See more about the series, go to veteranmentalhealth.com forward slash NADAC to check them out. Just a reminder, the guests and information on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be considered professional advice. If something you've heard makes you think that you should talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album, Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness. You can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us for the next episode. Hit subscribe in your podcast player of choice so you don't miss it. Until next time, remember, veterans, you're not alone. Ever. The struggle is real, found a feast and lost a soul Eventually my drinking, it got out of control There in darkness I roam, struggling to find home See suddenly death didn't feel so alone 22 a day, destination unknown It could have been avoided if you picked up the phone But now you're gone, so I guess all we get is
Force, Coast Guard, get up, you know. Oh, I try so hard. 